my friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris joined as always on this game by game preview show by hayden winks patrick darty and john daigle gentlemen it is week 14 the fantasy football playoffs our audience is still large because everyone made the playoffs in their league but it is in our hands to guide them through it pat no pressure you do this every single year how you feeling I'm feeling good. And the audience, they all made it there because you mentioned Antonio Gibson every day for six months. Um, not really helping them now that they're there because, you know, he won't be playing this weekend. That's a damn shame. But this, they have us to thank. We're the only reason they made the playoffs is this podcast. Correct. And Daigle, I know it's the end of the season. That can stir up some emotions, but you have to feel good about yourself. 13 weeks of the waiver wire, now 14 weeks of the waiver wire. You have constructed these teams for everyone out there. I mean, when you look in the mirror, you must think of the thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people you've helped this season. Minus the fact that I was not high on James Robinson coming into the year, but <laughs> sure. Other than that, I think we've gotten there. I've received actually a ton of kind DMs, emails even. Um, been offered a few free rounds of golf in Tennessee, Wyoming. So I'm definitely going to, one, cash those in. Yep. Two, uh, I do appreciate it because I don't do it for the free rounds of golf, but we'll gladly take them when they come along this summer. Hayden, I have a comment for you. You know, I know you're a California guy through and through, and this is so random. I thought of this this week. How many times over under three and a half have you been confused? Like someone came up to you and thought you were Jesse McCartney. Do you know who Jesse McCartney is? Zero times. No. Here is Jesse McCartney. Uh, (laughs) Hayden Winks, the resemblance (laughs) is uncanny. I mean, look at this. I guess there's a resemblance there for sure. This guy talks about targets and touches all week. I always see myself as blonder than I am now because I was blonder like five to 10 years ago. So whenever I see a comparison with somebody that had like darker hair, I'm like, what, what? But I guess I actually do look like him. I do not get this from Hayden, but from uh, Jesse McCartney, there's some Frankie Muniz vibes. Zoomers look it up. Uh, who Frankie Muniz is. Uh, maybe even Josh and John don't look like they know who Frankie Muniz is. But um, and Hayden, definitely in eighth grade, you had this haircut. You cannot tell me you did not. I, I, I've had some similar haircuts. I'm not going to lie. Josh, <laughs> can, you, can you also Google Liza Minnelli, who that one commenter compared you to that one time? No. <laughs> no. no I, I get the worst like doppelgangers. I will say that. It, it is a curse. It is a curse. But I'm still – this is why, you know – uh, I'm just smiling all the time, Daigle. I'm the only one on this podcast who knows that Liza Minnelli is Judy Garland's daughter. There's no shame in that well, at all. Um, I, I could also compare my own self to Roger Federer, which Pat does all the time. So I've I never go in that direction. People are saying. Uh, people I can are see saying, that one. What a I shame. That one. I got that one a lot back in the day, especially when my hair was longer um, and I wore headbands all the time. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've been told I was I've been mean before in the past because saying that Hayden won't understand a reference. But just to be clear, I've, I'm never mean. It's the fact that Hayden has like Andy Reid's face shield on for anything before 2010. He just like <laughs> he doesn't know he was banging away analytics in the Chargers office and they didn't want to hire him. So he doesn't understand anything but Will Ferrell references. That's well, true. I will. I will understand every Will Ferrell reference. Exactly. Outside of that, nothing. 
I felt like to get us through week 14, we need a bit of a giggle. So That actually uh, helped me out a little bit because I didn't yeah. even talk pre-show, as you could attest. I was just tired. <laughs> yes. I showed up just so tired already. But yeah, I'm good now. I'm happy, Josh. Well, you've got it now, and that means we need to, you know, head into this massive slate of 15 football games we're going to have covered Here we go. uh, on today's show, uh, covering, by the way, every single fantasy relevant player out there. I do want to say, before we get going, that if you need extra help, a little bit of extra credit for your lineups, join us for Brother World Live every Sunday, noon Eastern on Twitch, on YouTube, on Periscope. Um, again, we're there for 45 minutes answering your start set questions, setting your optimal lineups, talking about matchups and plays and lines and all that kind of stuff. So again, join us at noon Eastern this Sunday. And as always, it is served by Applebee's. All right, let's kick this one off. The four and eight Denver Broncos go to the Carolina Panthers, who are three and a half Next. point favorites at home, a total of 46 and a half. Pat, you get one of those every single show and you already used it. Uh, okay. Panthers are off a bye. Hopefully Christian McCaffrey gets to play against his dad's old team. Does not seem likely after he missed practice on Thursday. And Daigle, that's not the end of it. I mean, the Panthers have had a number of COVID issues coming out of their bye. Sounds like DJ Moore has the coronavirus. A bunch of other names are close contacts, including Curtis Samuel. What's the outlook here for this Panthers offense? Is it one that we truly won't know until Sunday morning? If Samuel was, in fact, a close contact and can turn around for this game, the good news is that he is still their wide receiver too. His types of targets he receives don't take away from Robbie Anderson, who would uh, soak up all of this opportunity that DJ Moore likely leaves behind and testing positive. So I think Anderson's a terrific play here. I would like to get McCaffrey uh, because remember last time they thrusted him right back in the lineup from injury against Kansas City. He handled 18 of 19 running back carries with 10 targets. But after a midweek downgrade, after tweaking his calf in practice, it looks like we're going to be on hold. So if Mike Davis was dropped anywhere, you can run out and get him immediately because it, I'm still skeptical the Broncos can contend here. I mean, Curtis Samuel is like the key here at this point because if CMC trending the wrong direction, DJ Moore appears to be out, out. And as we know, when Christian McCaffrey hasn't played, I mean, Curtis Samuel gets uh, goal line touches. And uh, so it's like a very important situation for fantasy. It'll be a very important situation for the Panthers, you know, who have been kind of throttling off Mike Davis. So they're not going to have the luxury to do it. He's still going to be in for at least 10 to 15 touches, but he's been kind of getting Giovanni Bernarded lately where he has just become so inefficient on both a per rush and a per catch basis that they've kind of had no choice but to dial off him a little bit. So if CMC's out and DJ Moore out, like Samuel, that would be like that the one that kind of pushes us over the edge into like a really, really bad situation for the Panthers because of how versatile Curtis Samuel has been. The Broncos are also missing Bryce Cal- Bryce Callahan, AJ Bouye, and another corner. So they're going to be using guys that have played like under 100 snaps at cornerback. So Robbie and- Anderson is somebody that I made my cover image for my preview column. I think he's an awesome spot. Curtis Samuel, like you said. And I do think with M- Mike Davis, I think the bye week probably helps him kind of like rebound after a couple of inefficient weeks. If Christian McCaffrey is out, you have to start. And the Panthers are projected for the ninth most points on the slate this week. Yeah, speaking of the Panthers passing game, and I'm adding up everything you guys have talked about so far. I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is is the worst play at quarterback this week. I mean, the quarterback position, Pat, we talk about it in the rankings. It is not in a great spot heading into week 14. There's not a lot of home favorites with teams expected to score 24 points. And the Panthers are one of them. And I can add on to this. In 11 games this season, eight wide receivers have finished with 80-plus receiving yards against the Denver Broncos. The Broncos have allowed 12 wide receiver touchdowns this season. And quarterback rushing, 
the Broncos defense have not been good this year. I mean, they allowed Sam Donald to rush for 84 yards in a score. Obviously, Cam Newton, Taysom Hill, two touchdowns, Patrick Holmes, 26 yards. We know that Teddy B has had a little dynamite in his feet this year in terms of picking up random yards here or there. Pat, it might happen for Teddy this week. I'm kind of going the other direction. Just, I mean, Teddy, you know, it's kind of hard capped. He had so few ceiling efforts. The Broncos defense has some vulnerabilities that you just laid out, but they're still kind of more of a bend but don't break defense. They're not going to break against Teddy Bridgewater, even on the road. And just, you know, Teddy is someone when he's got his full supporting cast going, then you can kind of, he's like an easy guy to get in like streamer rhythm with. But he's been banged up a lot in the second half of the season, a lot of like minor injuries. And Teddy was actually someone that I was kind of, yeah. Uh, I'm more in I, the other upside bets are, are like risky bets. I would take, I would rather play, play Jalen hurts. I'd rather play wow. Cam Newton and Jared Goff and their bad matchups. I'd rather play Mitch, which, you know, just cancel me for saying, wait, that. wait, 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 wait. You'd rather play Jalen hurts. Who we'll get to in a moment over Teddy Bridgewater. Easily. I mean, Jalen hurts is a real deal. Easily. dual threat. It's a horrible matchup, but he, you know, he's a real deal dual threat. Um, okay. so yeah, absolutely. I, that's one to monitor. As we move forward, Dago, anything to say about the the Broncos offense? I mean, Drew Locke has looked absolutely horrific. Um, I was looking at his passing chart, and according to Nexion stats, there are only two zones of 12 that are that are above league average and about eight that are below league average. I mean, he's he's awful. He's a bottom three quarterback in the NFL right now. Jerry Judy, the leader in my prairie yards model, because he's getting heaved balls that don't matter whatsoever, completely inaccurate. Whereas it's hard, it's admittedly impossible to sift through Tim Patrick's box score because he has been ejected, injured, and played a full game with Kendall Hidden the past six games. But when healthy since week six, he has been their number number one wide receiver. Uh, this past week, of course, two touchdowns didn't get six targets like he had in his ongoing streak previously in full games. But still, two touchdowns, uh, Drew Locke is at least delivering to him. So really, that's all I'm on. You would think it's a good matchup for their running backs, but as long as Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay are both available, which is looks like what they're trending towards here, it just eats away at one another, and you have to hope they explode, even though Lindsay continues looking like the better player weekly. Hey, and I thought we were really close to getting like that Noah fan breakout game that you keep talking about last week because he looked in that first quarter, but then, you know, Drew Locke continues to do Drew Locke things. And and that's that for 2020 for the Broncos. All right, shall we move on? Let's move on. Uh, Houston Texans, Chicago Bears, total of 45. Texans on the road uh, are one-point favorites. Neither team has a winning record. Uh, but because the Bears are so bad, Pat, the awful victory that they gave the Lions last week has just like been slid under the rug a little bit. And no one is talking about how disgusting it was to watch that Bears team operate last week. But we do have a glimmer of hope. And who would have thought that in week 14, the glimmer of hope on the Chicago Bears would be David Montgomery against possibly his best matchup of the season of this Houston Texans defense? Not something you would ever draw up is the David Montgomery triple down. Um, <laughs> we are tripling down on David Montgomery for the first round of the fantasy playoffs, and he's been living off good matchups. But as you so, it's the Texans this week. Uh, what it was? The, it's been the Packers and the Lions. That was, he's the three mm-hmm. defenses allowing the most fantasy running back points are the Texans, Packers, and Lions. So, uh, and you know, David Montgomery, we didn't even know if he was the kind of guy who could take advantage of these good matchups, but. He's been he's looked refreshed the past few weeks. He has coming out looking like a, a little more springier, a little livelier, and he's at least cashing tap, cashed in back to back amazing matchups. This is arguably the most amazing of the three matchups. And David Montgomery, I thought David Montgomery as the season progressed and bye weeks ended, and all thirty two teams were playing, 
would be someone I got to phase out of like the RB2 <laughs> rankings, or is instead, yeah, he's ascended and now he's a low end RB1. And what was, was he the RB1 or two overall last number week? Number one the, last week. He was number one overall last week. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, strange times, 2020. That someone in social media or around the industry is probably going to cite some meaningless stats explaining why he was better in this stretch. Uh, we can shush them then because, again, the matchup is just as good as the past two weeks. Um, I don't think anything's changed in his overall performance, but when he's continuing to get touches and you're playing soft matchups, why the hell not in 2020? So no argue, no argue for me anymore as a top six, top five guy. You know what? I'm going to stand up for David Montgomery here. Don't Hayden. do that. I actually think he has improved a little bit as a player. Like this is the peak form we've seen from David Montgomery as a professional. He is, you know, making one move, making the first person miss, and then making the second person miss. And a lot of those carries inside the 10 and 20 yard line are some of his best carries right now. And other backs, yes, I'm going to say this, other backs in the league wouldn't have been able to score some of the touchdowns that he has over the last few weeks, he is making yards on his own. And that is the definition of a great back versus a good back. I'm not saying that he can do that for the rest of his career, but in this string of games, it's absolutely working out. I would agree that he's looked better the last couple of weeks, but I don't, I don't want to overrate like a two game sample when we've had like 20 games previously when we thought he wasn't very good. So I, I'm with you. The, the usage is awesome. The, the matchup is awesome. So I have David Montgomery as an RB1 as well. I think that the Texans team is the more interesting team to break down here just because we have some answers at what they're going to do at receiver and at tight end. So last week, Chad Hansen basically took over the Will Fuller role. He was the downfield threat. Brandon Cooks kind of stayed in his own lane. And then Kiki Kuti was the underneath slot guy. And all three of these guys basically ran all the routes. There wasn't really a big change in like tight end usage or a running back usage, we just kind of have answers. It's going to be Chad Hansen downfield, Brandon Cooks as the the target leader, and then Kiki Kuti kind of depending on matchup, how he's going to fare out of, out of the slot. I, I like All they did was plop Hansen on the boundary for Will Fuller. Like they just treated Hansen as Will Fuller, oddly enough. Kuti still impressively led in uh, air yards, which I did not expect among that group, and the target share. But... I don't think we should be as afraid of the Bears as you were at the beginning of this year. 41 and 34 points allowed because they're banged up in their front seven. And if they're not getting a pass rush, then, of course, they can't sustain performances like they did previously. And now they get Sean Watson, who's still playing well without Will Fuller. So, yeah, I, I like the over a lot in this game, honestly. And then uh, I think the Texans deliver on offense, which also helps out this new fantastic running ability of David Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, you made a great point about the Bears defense. Like, it kind of looked like their soul left their body in week 12 against the Packers. Like, they kind of, it's, you know, this is always projection from people watching at home in the couch, but it kind of looked like they gave up. Like, that's, you know, too strong. Clearly, they're professionals. They're not giving up, but they looked just worn down from a horrible season in week 12. And then that Matthew Stafford throw for 400 yards on them last week, you know, without Kenny Galladay, without DeAndre Swift. And I mean, Deshaun Watson, who, I thought of an overrated, underrated all season and come out in a really tough matchup last week and still having one of his best starts. And yeah, Chad Hansen, uh, I was hoping to be Isaiah Coulter, uh, but it was Chad Hansen and he can also play inside. He wasn't doing that. Like John, but he, he can be like a versatile Chris Hogan type. Uh, he's can be inside outside. Uh, but I would be Texans are a team. I'm very excited to see this week. If they can carry it over uh, their post will fuller play in another on paper, tough ish matchup. 
Yeah, just one final note on that Bears defense. Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford combined for seven touchdowns the last two weeks. And Deshaun Watson is every bit of the player that Matthew Stafford is. And very, very close, I would say, to Aaron Rodgers this season, even if people you know, are putting Mahomes and Rodgers up there as the top two quarterbacks in the NFL this year. You would not get an argument for me if Deshaun Watson is third on that list. All right, moving on. Dallas Cowboys, Cincinnati Bengals. Dallas, three and nine, three and a half point favorites at home. Just a teeny tiny total of 42 and a half in this game. Hayden, because the Bengals defense, well, you know, at times they might be over their skis in terms of performance versus talent. Um, This Cowboys offense should be one that we are aggressive in starting. So how many pieces of that Cowboys offense are you trusting here for? Well, I think Andy Dalton's kind of rescued the floor of the team. They're much better than they were under Danucci and Gary Gilbert. But only two of these receivers slash Dalton Schultz are probably going to have good days, and the other two are probably going to have forgettable days. I I think that CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup are more like wide receiver fours than they were in previous weeks when they were like more or less off the radar. And I think Amari Cooper is still the lead guy as like a wide receiver two or three. Um, I think that there's a, there's a reasonable chance that two of these guys have really solid games Two two guys have okay games and you, it's pretty hard to predict. We've seen Michael Gallup, his role kind of increase, but we we're dealing with small samples here. We, we know that all three of these guys are good. If they get the targets, we are still kind of learning who's going to get those targets. Yeah. There's a lot of empty uh, calorie targets to go around in this offense right now. And cause you know, the running game has been kind of struggling too. So I think that the volume will stay maybe kind of surprisingly high and, I view Amari Cooper as like a safe wide receiver too. Uh, I still view CeeDee Lamb as kind of in the wide receiver three conversation, like low end, I guess. Michael Gallup, you know, we thought was totally out. Maybe now he can enter like Denzel Mims, Brashad Perriman, big play, wide receiver four, like dart throw territory. And Dalton Schultz has been kind of shockingly consistent volume. Even he's kind of like in the top 14 or 15 at tight end. I mean, talk about like uh, – like empty calories, but uh, he will get the job done at PPR and half PR. I'm just reiterating everything Hayden said. Cause uh, basically you know. I, I was going to wait for you to make that comment, but yes, you basically <laughs> are. Uh, Dago, anything on, on the Bengals side, because it's Brandon Allen and we know he got a fluke touchdown, 77 yards to Tyler Boyd last week. Uh, T Higgins has missed some practice time after leaving in the final series of, of last week's game. Um, it's the first round of the fantasy playoffs. I'm not sure how many people got there with these Bengals on your roster but confidence level in them. I'd be listening if someone wanted to tout Bernard as a fringe RB1 this week in a matchup. Uh, this Cowboys linebacking core, maybe we can blame Mike Nolan the scheme, but Jalen Smith and LVE are out there. Uh, we saw it against Lamar Jackson, rattles off a 37-yard touchdown run, I believe, completely untouched up the middle. It, they just look absolutely lost right now. Talk about players not giving up. Maybe that core has given up. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a good matchup, though, on the ground, honestly. And for the same way, we didn't talk about Zeke, but and I'm the one who yells about him every single week. But again, it also is a terrific matchup. No matter how much I wanted to push him down in the rankings, finalizing for this show, uh, even with all buys out of the week, there's not really many other confident options. Like you reach Ronald Jones when you get to RB12 overall, and you're like, well, I have to start Zeke over here, my guess. So I think Zeke is a terrific matchup-based play. If there's another game the Cowboys can win this year, it's this one. I mean, I have my doubts they can, but it's this one. Now let's go to the Tennessee Titans, Jacksonville Jaguars. Total of 53 in this game. The eight and four Titans are seven and a half point favorites here on the road. Last time Ryan Tannehill Hayden faced this Jaguars defense, he was 18 of 24 for an incredibly efficient 
239 yards and four touchdowns. Meanwhile, and history tells us that Derrick Henry has monster games against the Jaguars. He did not in that week two performance, 25 carries, 84 yards. Anything going to change in this performance? Well, the Jaguars are still missing their three top corners, and they play a lot of cover one man defense, and they don't have the corners to stop A.J. Brown and Corey Davis this week. So I'm willing to run it back with Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback one. You have to start Corey Davis if you have him. You're obviously starting A.J. Brown. And like you said, Derrick Henry is in an absolute smash spot once again here. I mean, they're seven and a half point favorites. His usage was dialed back last week, but he's trying to win a rushing title here. So if you have any Titans in your lineup, you're obviously starting him against the Jaguars. The Titans are projected for the third most points on the week. That would be back-to-back years, right, of the rushing title? I believe so. People are really smashing the Ryan Tannehill uh, streaming, even though he's not necessarily a streamer. He's kind of, you know, every week QB1. Like a motif that can be overrated that I bring up all the time is like, you know, so the Titans are huge favorites against a terrible team. Will they pass enough? to get Ryan Tannehill, like his QB, high-end QB1 numbers. And a lot of times that fear doesn't really come to pass, but I do think this week it is a genuine fear. The Titans are so – or the Jaguars are so decimated at Mm -hmm. every level of the defense. They're a top-five defense in terms of running back fantasy points allowed. Uh, The big dog is hungry after last week's uh, disappointing showing, and I do – fear for Ryan Tannehill that it could just be Derrick Henry going completely bonkers. But as I said, that does not come to pass a lot. Patrick Mahomes has proven that over and over again this season. But I I think it's a a more real threat in this game than some of those other games we've talked about. Real real quick, I I do think the one pushback in these scenarios and when you're looking at the point spreads is their implied team total. And when the Titans are implied to score 30 points, even if Derrick Henry has 200 yards, two touchdowns, like the other points are coming from Ryan Tannehill. So I, I do look at point spreads, but I'm more looking at the team totals first rather than the point spreads. In most and last week, of course, was the first time all year that Derrick Henry got game scripted out of the game altogether. And it's not going to be every week where Baker throws 304 TDs on you in the first half. So uh, I think just a more of a fluke showing. Remember, he averaged 29 touches in the two games prior, whereas he only had 16 in this last one. So while I actually prefer, I think it's more ad- advantageous spot for Tannehill to just blow up here with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. Um, of course, I think Derrick Henry's in an amazing spot as well, especially if the Jaguars respond against this Titans defense that just has no pass rush. Everyone's banged up that can reach the quarterback. And for all of Glennon's falls, and there are a lot of them, he's at least thrown a league-high 16 attempts, 20-plus yards downfield the past two weeks. I think he's going to get DJ Shark going in a tremendous spot. I think we may see Colin Johnson pop up here a little bit as well. So I like the total. I like the game environment for everyone here, honestly. Hasn't Colin Johnson emerged as Mike Glennon's number one target? I mean, it's his favorite target right now. And his last two starts – Four catches, 96 yards in a score. Four catches, 66 yards. I mean, I know DJ Chark missed one of those contests, but if you're looking in the two smallest sample size games that we can possibly look at, Johnson is the one who's emerging. We talk about all these other random names who have emerged in recent weeks. Chad Hansen, Kiki Cutie, so on and so forth. I haven't seen Colin Johnson get any love. And meanwhile, as you alluded to, Daigle, the Titans are facing more, more pass attempts per game only behind the Seattle Seahawks. That's it. Number two in the NFL this season. And earlier this season, Pat, in that week two performance, Gardner Minshew threw three freaking touchdowns against them. And Mike Glennon this year is playing just as well, if not, I think, a touch better than Gardner Minshew was earlier this season. 
So hasn't Colin Johnson emerged as Mike Lennon's number one receiver is maybe the darkest uh, sentence I've ever heard on this podcast. Uh, Mike Lennon has been frisky over the past two weeks. And yeah, the, the Titans defense looked like it might as well have not been on the field last week. It's a very difficult time still envisioning a player as bad as Mike Glennon finishing as like a top 16 or top 18 fantasy quarterback. But I think kind of what we're all alluding to that he could play well enough to get everyone on ten to keep the game close enough for everyone in Tennessee to get their numbers. That might be Mike Lennon's biggest uh, fantasy impact this week. I agree. I yeah, agree. It's, it's James Robinson, DJ Chark. That's it. Don't the Colin Johnsons don't don't mess with that during the playoffs. I mean, I think the reason why Colin Johnson played last week, Lavisca Chenault left early, and the the previous weeks DJ Chark was out. So I think that's why he's on the outside because the outside receivers were injured. I'm just disappointed, Pat. It took you until week 14 to use the phrase motif. That needs to be unleashed every single week, I believe. All I'm right. a big fan of the word. I'm, so, I'm shocked I hadn't used it yet. But, uh, <laughs> I promise to use it every week going forward. Let's go to one of the best games of the weekend. That's the 11-1 and Kansas City Chiefs facing off against the Miami Dolphins, who, as everyone knows, are 8-4. and A total of 4-9.5 for the Chiefs as seven-point favorites. Daigle, there's no way that the Dolphins can put up enough points on the board here to keep up with Kansas City, right? And... While the Dolphins have confused a number of quarterbacks this season and Justin Herbert and Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes is clearly on another tier. And his efficiency, both against man coverage, which the Dolphins will likely run, or if they choose to blitz him, has been terrific. It's, it's Patrick Mahomes, obviously. What's interesting for the Chiefs offense in this spot, though, is that we look at Miami secondary and think, okay, there's a, a group of corners that can handle him. It would be them. But... Brian Flores ran a season-high rate of no huddle last week, which afforded to a, a season-high 39 pass attempts. And he was actually extremely efficient from no huddle, leading Flores to say that they're going to do that more this week. And if that is the case, then we will see more volume for this Chiefs passing attack, as we mention every week, that has been the that has had the highest pass, both a neutral game script and a lead, the past five games now, as they continue just leaning on Patrick Mahomes to build the score and then to pad the score. So I, the game environment here also is a tremendous one that makes Tua a viable two quarterback super flex streamer if you're in a pinch. If you read, you know, like the tweets, or God forbid, you read the Roto World slacks, uh, you would think that Tua Tagovailoa has been like the, the worst, worst player ever. Yeah. Well, Pat, there is one person who is extremely guilty of that, and we will not name names because he is not representing himself here. But I think everyone, and I think you're getting to this, Pat, everyone who watched the contest last week in the Cincinnati Bengals could see that yes, in the first half it was dull, it was boring, it was not good, it was lethargic, but in the second half. Tua was crisp, he was decisive, and at times that offense was explosive, and I think you can latch onto that and move forward with it. Yeah, he's just playing like a conservative rookie quarterback in an offense that's low on weapons, and he's trying not to make mistakes, and he's not making mistakes. So sometimes that has led to a lack of big plays. But yeah, it was kind of like a switch flip at halftime last week, and you know the Cardinals game happened. That existed where he played extremely well. He lost Preston Williams that game, which seemed to have a huge impact on the Dolphins offense. But yeah, Tua could be a guy who could really – he could flip matchups this week as like a super flex or a second QB because there is just a lot of upside. And Because with John said going uh, faster pace too, there's going to be a lot of upside just in the pure volume the Dolphins are going to have to get out of their passing games. To your point, Pat, he's playing like a quarterback that was injured and didn't have a training camp or preseason. And by the way, it's more than one Rotor World person. It's another Rotor World legend, Anthony Costa, is also not. Well, you're supposed well. to name names, Pat. <laughs> I love that Pat just named the name of a, 
<laughs> of one and not the other. So I will let you all read into that. You can that put two and two will. together. His name is uh, <laughs> Nick Ninzio. Yeah. Uh, so. okay. uh, Hayden, I mean, they're, both of these um, backfields are one of f- fantasy relevancy, right? Miles Gaskin has taken a hold of the Dolphins one. I would say that he could get scripted out of this situation, which could be frustrating. But on the Chiefs end, and I've talked about this in every single show this week, so why not make it four for four? Um, that I drafted Miles Sanders and Clyde Edwards-Alaire in one of my most important leagues, and now CEH is completely unplayable now. And I would even say that Le'Veon Bell is probably completely unplayable as well. Le'Veon Bell has always been unplayable. He, he <laughs> looks bad out there, and I, I think – I kind of was drawing the comparison to like LaShawn McCoy last year where the Chiefs gave it a try with the veteran, kind of helped out maybe an an inexperienced player. And I think that Clyde Edwards player is probably going to jump back into the starting mix, assuming he gets into full practice on Friday. I think that I'm not sure if he's a top 24 running back, but he has way higher ceiling than all the other running backs that you drank around him. Uh, They're just not using him very much right now because like Daigle said, their neutral pass rate is way high up. Miles Gaskin, though, he's he's a rock-solid RB2 right now. He's getting all the volume. He, I mean, he's getting RB1 volume, and he gets enough catches to kind of mix in. He gets all the goal line work. And I just think, he, quite frankly, he's like clearly the best running back they have. That's not really saying a lot. But I think that Miles Gaskin is a pretty sturdy RB2, even in potential negative game script. Gaskin has that Nick Chubb thing, too, where he's actually just a bad runner inside the five-yard line, despite <laughs> being efficient all, all across the rest of the field. But Savan Ahmed, DNP on Wednesday and Thursday, looking like he's not going to be involved. And we saw last week Gaskin in his first game from injured reserve, seven snaps, 87% of the team's running back carries, 23 touches overall. So full go-ahead. Closing thought on CEH, the – Miami Dolphins defense has allowed the highest success rate to running backs through the air this season. So wouldn't shock me at all. Hopefully. I mean, this is a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of hope that CEH gets it done through the air. We've seen him do that in the past, Pat, and maybe it happens this week. And that's how he gets back to relevancy. Yeah. And it's bad matchups in theory for the chiefs wide receiver. So it would make a lot of sense. The, the CEH, the problem is he's, he's just underperformed in every kind of matchup, good matchups, bad matchups, good pass defenses, bad. So we would like to see it, uh, especially coming off his viral illness, but I agree. There's, there are glimmers of hope this week. Six and six Arizona Cardinals are one and a half point favorites against the New York giants. I mean, it's like turning into America's team, the New York giants. Uh, they're five and seven on the year, a total of 45 in this game. Pat, I'll go back to you for this one. I mean, the Cardinals, again, are one-and-a-half-point favorites. Is it recency biased to question if that is fair after what the Giants have done in recent weeks, the positivity that they've instilled in everyone out there? Meanwhile, the Cardinals were basically lost five in a row if they didn't convert that Hale Murray into the end zone against the Bills. Yeah, I've honestly found this to be the strangest line of the week. It's been kind of yo-yoing. It appears it's back to two-and-a-half points right now for the Cardinals as road favorites. And Talk about two units just going in different directions. The Cardinals offense since Kyler Murray's shoulder injury and the Giants defense over the past few weeks, you know, just shut down the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, this is one of the saddest thing I think I've seen all week with, you know, is the next gen stats of DeAndre Hopkins's route trees uh, the past few weeks. And the Cardinals just kind of seem like an offense, like lacking for answers right now. And just, you know, like with, without Kyler Murray until he can reprove his health and like really reestablish that rushing threat, uh, 
I, it's hard to have faith in the Cardinals, especially on the road. And it, it, maybe if Colt McCoy was making another start, you know, that's not happening. Daniel Jones, I don't know, maybe that's actually good for the Cardinals. Who knows? Maybe Daniel Jones has turned it over 19 times. Um, but I found it to be a curious line. And yeah, I mean, the Cardinals, they're to the point with me where like, I need to see it to believe it again, to believe Kyler's health, to believe, you know, they're going to be a dangerous fantasy offense because yep. it has not been easy on the eyes the past three weeks. DeAndre Hopkins, of course, fewer than 60 yards in three consecutive games now in four of his last five. I haven't lost faith in Kingsbury as a play caller, but it's going to t- magic he used last year in the second half of the season to change this thing entirely. Hopkins uh, route tree, like Pat mentioned, of course, like that since the air raid just calls for receivers to go to their spots quickly on the field. Um, but as we know, the, between uh, outside of Hopkins, like you have Isabella, who's not getting it done in two starts for Fitzgerald. You have Fitzgerald at his age and then nowhere else to turn to. So they don't have a choice. Like they have to start moving Hopkins around this formation. Yeah, I'm going to hop in here and pull my best John Daigle and ask Cliff Kingsbury, what you think you're doing here, pal? Because like if the only excuse you have out there is Kyler Murray has to run or can't run because the defense is forcing him to hand the football off, then – your offense disappears after that. And so far, that's exactly what it's done. Um, you're getting paid to manufacture yards, points, production from an offense that has one of the great young quarterbacks in the league, one of the top three wide receivers in the league, a running game that has talent that you're devoting money to, and you can't do it. And I think part of that, and Hayden, you can back me up here probably, is that he is trying to use his same concepts that sometimes work and sometimes do not. And I would n- namely point to like these wide receiver screens. We know how much color threw them last year. They're dropping in that rate this year. But if you look on the Cardinals roster, they don't have a player who's explosive to win on those screens. You know, they don't have like a Depot Samuel or a Julio Jones or any of that type. Like you're throwing these to DeAndre Hopkins, not a yards after catch player. You're throwing them to Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella. Maybe they need to do more to the latter two. Is he, man? Yeah, but in my opinion... DeAndre Hopkins against James Bradbury is a very fair matchup because these are the type of wide receivers that James Bradbury does best against. Those at-the-catch point ballerina types that can go up and get those circus grabs. I'm really leaning towards the Giants here. The Cardinals aren't throwing the ball over the middle, which is, I mean, I don't want to say it's a Kyler Height thing, but it's not not a Kyler Height thing right now. And they're not using any crosses or anything. Like you said, it's a very repetitive offense. Christian Kirk runs clear-out routes. Andy Isabel and Larry Fitzgerald are doing basically nothing over the middle. And then DeAndre Hopkins is like solely on the outside. And I don't know if this is an injury thing, but the Cardinals ran a season low 27% neutral pass rate last week as well. So I, I want to believe in this, but there, there are some, some issues right now. And I, like, like Josh said, I think that it's these, these schemes that were kind of working in college and the NFL, it's not totally working out right now. Last week I saw a lot of, like two deep zone defense from the Rams, but the safeties were like 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, like not like 15, 20 yards off the line of scrimmage, like usual way down in the box because they're not throwing anything downfield. So they, they have some issues. I'm not sure they're going to figure out immediately. I do think that the way that the giants defense kind of lays out that they, they allow some underneath production and that's kind of where the Cardinals passing offense can get going a little bit. But I, I'm thinking that we've seen the top, for Kyler Murray this year, but I also think like last week was probably the bottom. I think he's probably going to even out as like a mid-range quarterback one. And to be fair, I 
I believe him. I don't think it's a shoulder issue at all. He even told media, what do you want me to do? If I pull the ball out and run, I'm going to run directly into the defense. I have to keep handing it off. And so I think that's the case. And that's what we're seeing now with 15 total carries and, uh, and three consecutive games. And it's been the beneficiary for Kenyon Drake. Yes, that's the name I was yeah. thinking. I, I got it. Because he's been fantastic inside the 20, inside the 10-yard line because of volume. I mean, he is seeing so many more opportunities in those areas in comparison to all of his peers. And it's because now we saw earlier in the year, Kyler one-on-one, you cannot tackle him in that area of the field. And now defenses are forcing him to hand the football off. And despite Kenyon Drake not being good this season, he is good for us because of those opportunities. By the way, before we go, Pat, you and Daigle certainly lost that Wayne Gallman bet last week. What was it again? It was 145. I mean, was the yardage on. total he needed to get to. And they got to 135. He got to a career high 135. Because the that. average points were 14 and a half, and they got 13 and a half. Sorry, guys. I mean, those will be better at <laughs> your jobs. Anything we need to say about this Giants offense? I mean, all, all we've talked about is Arizona offense versus Giants defense. And there's a whole other side of the ball to this equation. You know, uh, Darius Slayton, guys. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> Daniel Jones coming back. John, what's what's Daniel Jones coming back mean? Uh, lay it on us. Uh, I was hoping you had an answer. Uh, remember, Sterling Shepard's target share in the four games with Daniel Jones before he got injured uh, was exceeded 24%. He was the number one receiver. So a higher floor of Daniel under center. Much like last week, though, if Daniel Jones is out and it's Colt McCoy, the receivers lose their value. It is good, though, to see them – literally just try to pelt Evan Ingram all over the field now. Even if they're inefficient targets, they actually are integrating him as their featured player. So he now stands the top six tight end, fortunately, after we were worried about his inaccurate targets uh, because they came far and few between through the first eight games of the year. All right, let's now go to the Minnesota Vikings and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bucks at home, six and a half point favorites, a total of 51 and a half. And as you know, the Bucks are seven and five. And somehow the Minnesota Vikings at six and six are still in this playoff race. Hayden, is Tampa Bay still a defense we should fear for fantasy purposes? I mean, Derek Carr, Daniel Jones, Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes have combined to throw 16 touchdowns versus six interceptions versus Tampa Bay in recent weeks is is this top unit that we thought earlier in the year slipping a little bit and we surely know that at times Kirk Cousins has channeled his inner Jameis Winston throwing the football to Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson down the field the Bucks are allowing the highest neutral pass rate on defense in the NFL and I think part of the reason is one they're good up front even without Vita Vea they're still a pretty good unit stopping the run and two, they blitz a lot, which is forcing these these teams to get the ball out quick to their their playmakers. And uh, yeah, I think that the Bucks are a decent defense overall, but they're super aggressive and they're very vulnerable to big plays. And Justin Jefferson, Adam Thie- Adam Thielen are, are the big play threat. So uh, I don't think that I'm going to be downgrading Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen at all in this matchup. Even though I do think the Bucks defense overall is still a pretty good defense, they're just very risky. And when you're taking on that much risk these offenses are passing the ball more because of that. And I think that opens up some big plays. 
I would like to see Carlton Davis uh, singled up many times on Justin Jefferson this weekend. Uh, that would be very fun after one of the worst single coverage performances in recent memory uh, from Carlton Davis against Tyree Kill. Uh, I feel still feel really bad about that one two weeks after the fact. And I mean, this is it's interesting. You talk about the Bucks being a gambling defense. I mean, Kirk Cousins would be a quarterback. You know, I would like to send free blitzers at or like try to jump routes on. He could he will accommodate you. Uh, but yeah, this is like. This is like the season for both these teams. Isn't it? And like the Bucks coming off by the Bucks got a lot of questions though. You know, they're coming off the latest by like in human history. And Mike Evans is suddenly questionable. He missed practice Thursday with a hamstring issue. Chris Godwin, I guess, isn't questionable. He missed practice time with this uh, finger injury, but it's just because they were getting the pins out. But I mean, if Mike Evans can't go, I mean, this the Bucks, they cannot get any target certainty whatsoever on offense. And that would be just another late season like wrench being thrown in the system there if Mike Evans cannot go and an amazing matchup and the Vikings and if, if he does not play I really really wonder how this Bucks offense which has just frankly been off the rails uh, m- most of the past month and that would be a, an enormous loss uh, for Tom Brady. The good news for Cousins is that not only has it been an outstanding 8.6 yards per attempt since week six, uh, 40 volume, 45 and 43 pass attempts the past two games. As you mentioned, Josh, like this Bucks secondary has basically become a pass funnel. But I think we can see the volume again because we know what the Vikings will try to do. They're going to try to run Dalvin Cook up the middle, start the game, and I don't think it's going to go well. Three yards per carry allowed to opposing running backs and a league low in yards permitted on the ground by over 150 to opposing running backs as well by that Bucks front seven. So if we do get Cousins going through the air, uh, that would instill the fireworks because we also know the Bucks want to throw against a Vikings defense that just doesn't have answers. Eric Kendricks DNP throughout the week, and he's yeah. the one player, as I did, uh, I usually rewatch the games on Monday as I'm doing Excel things. What's up, ladies? And I just kept hearing Eric Kendricks' name in the corner. Like, what is he? Every time I look up, he's trying to make a play, and he's out now. Yannick Ngakwe still leads the team in sacks. He was traded in week six. They yeah. have nothing to offer. I, I saw it mentioned on Twitter this week, though, that like they are improving despite all the deficiencies. Like Mike Zimmer, from a coaching standpoint, is improving, but I don't know how. I don't know how they are. And Eric Kendricks, and we've seen Ronald Jones explode at points this year. As long as this team isn't working from behind and is forced to use, in their terms, forced to use Leonard Fournette in the passing game, I think Ronald Jones could potentially have a top 15 week. So Ronald Jones is frustrating because (laughs) he had the team's only first half touchdown, 37-yard reception, and then got one target the rest of the game. In the third quarter, he ran for a 34-yard run and didn't get a touch the rest of the game. And then Bruce Arians comes out the next day and says, oh, Ronald Jones needs to have 20 touches. There's only one person in charge of that, and it's the one man saying Ronald Jones needs 20 touches. So – like we mentioned earlier, sifting through rankings, I did have him as the RB12 or 13 on the week. But do I fully trust that? No, because I know a wrench can be thrown into this at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Rojo, the past three weeks, one week was a lot of yards and a lot of touches. One week was not so many yards and not so many touches. And one week we had like a decent amount of yards on a decent amount of touches. And the usage is just all over the map. The thing that during that three game time span, we just basically got three straight lulls from Leonard Fournette. Like he's not playing well. He's playing terribly. I mean, Rojo's making mistakes, but I agree with John. I don't understand why this is so complicated for Bruce Arians and the Bucks. I mean, maybe it's Tom Brady uh, just going going rogue and not liking the occasional mistake Ronald Jones makes. But I too have Ronald Jones ranks like a top fifteen or sixteen back. You just you have to do it. There's, there's so much uncertainty at running back. He's one of the only guys 
providing any kind of ceiling uh, days whatsoever. And my one part, the only thing I can think of with the, the Vikings defense, Josh, is just that Mike Zimmer is an amazing game planner and he's duct taped yeah. and gluing this thing together. Let's now go to the late games on Sunday. The eight and four Indianapolis Colts go on the road to the Las Vegas Raiders. Total of 51 and a half. Hey, two teams with winning records. That can be difficult to come by on this slate. Um, the Colts on the road are three-point favorites. Look, Hayden, Jonathan Taylor, T.Y. Hilton, after frustrating start to the season, strong close to these seasons. However, I believe the Colts are down two left tackles. Um, that can be important when Phillip Rivers, who has had to deal with those types of injuries throughout his entire career to his offensive line, but as we know now, he's nearing, I would say, age 59. So that might be more of an issue if, big if, the Raiders had a pass rush. I was just going to say, the Raiders are 29th in adjusted sack rate. They don't have the guys up front. Cleveland Farrell's playing a little bit better, but, I mean, he's still like an average defensive end right now. They don't have anyone behind them. Uh, last week, Damon Arnett missed the corner. The last week, safety Jonathan Abram missed. So the, the, Raven, or the Vegas Raiders are just lacking talent right now. And there's, I mean, I'm looking for reasons to get Colts into my lineups right now. That certainly includes Jonathan Taylor. To a lesser extent, that that includes T.Y. Hilton. I still think he's more like a wide receiver four, but I think that T.Y. Hilton's earned a little bit of the benefit of the doubt after appearing to play a little healthier, and I think that he's the better bet over Michael Pittman right now just because he's getting the more, more volume than he is in the last couple of weeks. The narrative for Rivers is those offensive line issues, but we have four consecutive games now where he's been a top 15 quarterback despite the offensive line, despite Jacoby Brissett coming in on the goal line. So I think Rivers uh, and the Colts offense are terrific plays. To Hayden points on Jonathan Taylor, we've seen Taylor now in the lineup two out of the last three games because he was on the COVID list two weeks ago, and he's out-touched Naheem Hines 42-18 to in those two games. Like elite runner David Montgomery, he's making a few extra special plays per week between the tackles as well. You can kind of see it slowly starting to click for him and also still has amazing hands. So I think he's a top 10 play as well. Just a tremendous offense environment overall for the Colts this week. Yeah, I think Jonathan Taylor would feel like a no-brainer top 10 running back if he hadn't missed week 12 because he was really pushing the pile as a runner. And like John said, the 39-yard touchdown he scored as a receiver last week, he had to catch a low pass, had to make like an in-air adjustment to catch the ball, still secured it, and was off to the races. So it's uh, you know two months later than we were expecting, uh, but it is finally happening. And uh, T.Y. Hilton, I was to say, has been the wide receiver 6 and wide receiver 14, I believe, over the past two weeks. And, well, it was kind of empty calories in week 12. It was kind of garbage time. But last week, it was literally from the opening drive. And he does, he looks healthier. He doesn't, he looks like maybe he's moving a gear faster. Uh, so I think I have him ranked ahead of Michael Pittman. I think he's in the wide receiver three mix. Jonathan Taylor could have a massive ceiling game if Jonathan Abram is out. I mean, watching that game last week for the Raiders, they massively missed Abram as like their secondary missile flying up into the box and making those tackles. Um, on the edge, and if, if he's out, I mean, he missed it with a knee injury in week 13, then that's a big, big boom for, for the Colts. Um, speaking of running backs, Hayden, what about these on the Raiders side? I mean, Josh Jacobs is still not practicing. He is still sidelined. Devontae Booker, I believe, got like 13 or 14 touches for around 50 yards. Uh, that's not going to cut it for our standards and what we want out of him. Yeah, the other guys behind him mixed in specifically on passing downs more than we kind of wanted. Um, so I think that he's more like a RB2, RB3. Um, the Colts defense is not one to mess around with with DeForest Buckner in the lineup. So 
I, I, I want to like the Raiders offense. They're projected for the 11th most points on the week, but it's outside of Darren Waller. It's kind of hard to trust any of these guys in these matchups, um, especially if they're not getting like bankable workloads. And I, I think De- Devontae Booker's probably going to see more carries this week than he had last week. But if he's not getting the receiving workload, I, I don't really want to mess around with a guy that's going to be playing like 50 to 60% of the snaps. I still think Aguilar is somewhat trustworthy as a flex option because his targets still to Henry Ruggs are insane. Last week, you wouldn't know it just by looking at the box score, but 11 targets, team I four end zone targets. He got sailed on three of those by Derek Carr. So it wasn't even his fault. So I think Aguilar is still the number two wide receiver on this team uh, behind Darren Waller, of course. Let's move on to the New York Jets and the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks 13 and a half point home favorites, a total of 46 and a half in this game. Uh, the Jets have not won. Meanwhile, the Seahawks have won eight games and have lost four. Pat, Russell Wilson has 860 yards, 12 touchdowns, thir- three interceptions on passes, 20 plus yards down the field this year. Now he gets to face off against the worst deep pass defense in the league. I'm not, you know, thinking that we need to sit here and tell people to start, that they need to start every single member of the Seattle offense. But if there's anything else to talk about in this game, help me with it. I mean, Russ might get less single coverage uh, looks or zero coverage looks uh, than he did last. Uh, he would have otherwise. But he, so Russell Wilson, six passing touchdowns in his past five games. You know, the, it, the well has dried up in fantasy. But for the this Jets defense, not only do they allow big plays, I mean, they're still like shuffling guys in and out of their secondary. They kind of like remade their secondary on the fly two, two or three weeks ago. And that resulted in Derek Carr, a QB one for week 13. So Chris Carson, I think will get established in this game. You know, the, the Seahawks still you know, struggling for like an identity on offense right now. They're having like a textbook identity crisis. And I think Chris Carson, that was his third game back. They might like kind of fully unleash him as they try to figure out their offense heading into the playoffs. But uh, you know, Russell Wilson, someone who has extremely long history of having big fantasy days on like lower volume, even if he only gets 25 to 30 attempts, that would be all he needs against this Jets defense to have a top five or six day quarterback. So I think Russell Wilson will get back on track for fantasy purposes this weekend. I think that's what we're looking at too. More of a coin flip game than people think, even though it's against the Jets. Uh, Pete Carroll already said that he's ready to give Chris Carson, quote unquote, a full load uh, for the first time since he returned from injury. Carson, of course, handled 16 to 23 running back touches last week. So we can expect 20 plus in this Actually, sort of tough spot since the Jets, if they do one thing well, it's defend the run. But he's still a usage-based RB1. And again, on minimal volume, Russ can get there in this spot since the Jets secondary is bottom four in every passing rate imaginable, whether it be completed air yards, passing yards per game, the list goes on and on. So I still like the spot. Vegas does as well because Seattle is implied to score the most points of any team on this entire slate. But I can see it being a closer game than some people think because I think we are going to get Carson rammed up the middle to start the game. Hmm. No comment on keeping this close, but we do need to discuss uh, Jameson Crowder and Ty Johnson if he plays. Those are the two fringe guys for the Jets. I don't think you can start Denzel Mim or Brashad Perriman. They're getting empty calorie well, area. Well, Mims Mim can't even play because Mim's he's at out. home with a personal reasons and he misses COVID testing. So he, oh, gosh. Will prob- he might not even play for the rest of the season. Well, uh, I still think it's Jamison Crowder or Bust for the Jets receivers. He had a 30% target share. He has all the rapport with Sam Darnold, and he's averaging like 15 fancy points uh, per game with Sam Darnold um, in his healthy game. So I, I, I'm fine with Jamison Crowder as like a volume-based wide receiver three after a couple really bad games coming off of his groin injury. 
Let's have this Ty Johnson discussion, Daigle. We need to, because this is a fringe NFL talent who is on a team in the New York Jets with an expected point total of 17. Um, Look, the Seattle Seahawks gave up 135 rushing yards to Wayne Gallman last week, but there have been other occasions where, you know, they're getting healthier Jamal Adams against the run. They have a lot of linebacker talent. I, I don't know if I can ride my first round of the fantasy playoffs with Ty Johnson as a starting running back, just from a big picture view. But if you really dig into it a little bit, I mean, there aren't, you know, 12 solid running back plays this week. So he got 22, 24 of 32 running back touches whenever Frank Gore left the game. I was doing rankings, like I said earlier, and I assumed Christian McCaffrey and Frank Gore were both out. And yet still Ty Johnson landed as my RB 22 overall on the week. So I'm curious where Pat has him. I just think he's a touch based option. And I think the Jets offense should get more credit. I know that's insane. We've been down this road in this podcast before, but they're, they're getting a little too much credit right now. Uh, supposedly improved, but having said that, the last month they have played Jared Goff, Kyler Murray, who got injured in that game, Carson Wentz, and Colt McCoy. So I'm still not really respecting their defense, honestly. I think the Jets mm. will be able to move the ball. See, the good news is they will be able to continue to improve against Sam Darnold, who is the single worst player <laughs> in the NFL now, folks. Uh, no, I'm just uh, That's Drew Locke. That's your board, Drew Locke, actually. Or Darius Slade. Ty Johnson, I just – a classic hedge installed in the RB two, three borderline. I do fear this has total off the rails potential for the jets as every jets game does. And, you know, it was really nice workload, but that was kind of like the Jets super bowl. It seemed like they put everything into that game. Like that was the game where they were not going to go. zero and 16 and it didn't work out. And, you know, this could be a massive, massive letdown spot this weekend. I, I think you can count on 10 to 12 touches for sure. But I, it's probably not case closed to Ty Johnson. I mean, we could see more Josh Adams this week. We could see more option three, option I don't know exists right now. I don't now. even think they have option three. I yeah. mean, who knows? I mean, but uh, I, I feel comfortable with 10 to 12. So I put him in that low-end RB2 mix. There's the upside for a lot more. I mean, it could be uh, – he could end up easily over 20 touches. But I only felt safely comfortable doing uh, 10 to 12 touches. I also think it's hilarious that everyone in talking heads and media think Greg Williams is tanking. It's like, who who was the DC of the last 0-16? 0-16 team. <laughs> Greg Williams. Like, this is what he does. Historically, he is bad at his job. Like, of course, he sent an all-out blitz in the very last play of the game. I'm just ready for Greg Williams to join Twitter. That's what I want to <laughs> see happen in 2021. All right. Uh, a game that was moved into the four o'clock slate, I believe, is the nine and three Green Bay Packers facing the Detroit Lions. A big total, a big total of 55 and a half, uh, seven and a half point favorites the Packers are here on the road. Hayden, Matthew Stafford, we talked about it, over 400 yards last week. Marvin Jones, even without Kenny Galladay, who almost certainly will not play the rest of the season because he's a free agent this offseason. Last six weeks for Marvin Jones. 51 targets, 32 catches, 393 yards, and five scores. That's basically 17 fantasy points per game. I would say this week, if there is a one-on-one matchup he faces, it is Jair Alexander. So how are you feeling about Marvin Jones? And this is a very specific question, but again, in the first round of fantasy playoffs, people might not have been starting him over the last six weeks and might be leaning towards doing so this week. Over the last month, you're leading in air yards, 11th in targets. So you're getting the volume that you would want. And that's with the Lions also ranking 30th in neutral pass rate over that span. So if we're expecting the offense to kind of turn the corner with the new coach, I can I can see 
Marvin Jones uh, still battling as a, like a wide receiver three, despite Jair Alexander. And they play a lot of zone defense too. So it's not like he's just like manned up against Marvin Jones and Jair, or Jair Alexander's not just manned up on Marvin Jones every single snap either. So I, I'm fine with Marvin Jones as a wide receiver three. My, Mar- Marvin Jones is kind of weird. He's almost being used as like a poor man's Deontay Johnson right now. Like someone who you always envision as like a outside big play threat. He's getting funneled like some easier looks than we're used to seeing from Marvin Jones. So I think maybe his usage is almost becoming like wide receiver three proof too. Uh, but yeah, it would be quite unfortunate if he got singled up a lot with Jair Alexander because uh, I don't think he would be winning that matchup. Daigle, any news and notes here on John J. Swift, who has not played? Um, we want him to play, obviously, because the Packers' defense is definitely hot, or co- hot and cold this season. He was limited at practice, I believe, as we record this on Thursday. And, of course, last time we saw him, remember, he was trending towards being a league winner. Season high in snaps, 73% of the team's running back carries, a 15% target share on five targets. So if we get in this game it's one that even david montgomery went nuts for so uh swift will definitely be a top six top seven option we we say they're not playing for anything but daryl beville is playing for his job as head coach so i don't think swift if healthy would be limited at all i would imagine they just thrust him right back in there as an rb1 hayden anything on the packers end i mean i think it's a pretty Easy choice that we have of Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams of playing Aaron Jones, even if Jamal Williams is biting into his snaps. That's okay against this Lions defense. Any tertiary pieces that we should be excited for? Start all of the guys that you know to start. I think that Alan Lazard, MVS, Robert Tanyan, one of those guys will have a good good game. The other two probably not. But, I mean, the ceilings here are insane. The, the Lions already bad missing their two corners, missing their defensive tackle. So, yeah, it's all systems go. Also, the waiver wire column has a longer shelf life this week because I included an end-of-roster top 10 in there that you can go check out once waivers are already processed and just drop guys that you're not going to play through the fantasy playoffs and pick up their running backs. And I only mention that because Jamal Williams is atop that list. As we know, if Aaron Jones goes down, Jamal Williams was already RB1 twice this year. So start stashing guys like that at the end of your roster. I just want to say, too, there has been some chatter that they still might limit DeAndre Swift. I don't know if he, like, lost some weight or something from his viral illness. They were being a little cagey about whatever his illness was. Uh, yeah. There's going to be that upside there for sure. Um, yeah. But we don't – I would – hopefully we'll get some more coach comments on DeAndre Swift's usage before Sunday. Let's go to another game, the Atlanta Falcons and the Los Angeles Chargers. 49.5 total in this game. Both teams obviously have losing records, but the Falcons – the Falcons are two and a half point favorites here. Pat, Julio Jones missed Thursday's practice. Um, I don't know what that means for his outlook, yeah. though, at this point in week 14. Like, he's probable, he misses, he plays, he's, you know, efficient. Um, this Falcons offense can be good. This Falcons offense can be bad. Um, I think you could just control C control V over there to the Los Angeles chargers who last week lost 45 to nothing, despite Justin Herbert having one of the best rookie quarterback seasons of all time. When you think about this game, Pat, what comes to mind? Well, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with Julio Jones. There's no correlation whatsoever between like his practice status and how he's used. And he can be like removed from the injury report on Friday and then be like a decoy. And then he can be like a game time decision and play every snap. Uh, my initial thought on this game was seeing the total below 50, 
it was like shocking to me, but to me, that's just like an indictment of Matt Ryan. And like this game should be over 50, like two spiraling teams, like a Chargers defense that hasn't been nearly as good as it should have been all season. I mean, I guess Joey Bosa is really, really cooking, but I couldn't believe this total is over 50. And that's just about Matt Ryan, uh, you know, never really bringing home the bacon in real life or fantasy right now. And Julio, I, I just, I wish I had something intelligent to say on Julio, but I mean, like anything is in play with Julio this weekend. Well, Pat, my nerd brain went in this direction. Basically, you just compared Julio Jones to Goku. What he does is he vanishes up to King Kai's, and you don't know when he's going to come back. But as soon as he is needed to save Earth, Julio Jones comes back and ultimately does do that. I'm proud to say I do not understand the reference. Daigle? Not bad. Daigle's not. Goku also the worst husband in any show ever. (laughs) Miserable husband. Chi Chi, there's a reason why she's angry every day. Uh, Anything Hayden, else you need to say about this one? So Hayden's the Chargers expert. Will they get 11 men on the field when there are punts this weekend? Uh, is that the key to the victory for the Chargers? Well, Anthony Lynn's taking over special teams yep. duty, so the answer to that is probably no. Um, I, I do think that this is a good stylistic fit for the Chargers offense against the Falcons defense. The Falcons defense last week had a lot of communication issues on the secondary. They're playing a lot of man defense. When they go to zone, they're miscommunicating everything. The Falcons are a total mess right now. And if I'm picking a a quarterback that's really good on these vertical concepts and you have receivers that can win downfield, I'm kind of buying into Justin Herbert, potentially in a ceiling game here um, after looking just atrocious last week. I mean, the the difference between the Falcons coaching staff and Bill Belichick's coaching (laughs) staff is, is pretty big. So I'm expecting a rebound for all these guys. I'm with Pat here on the over. I like both offenses a a whole lot in this game. We're going to talk about this game quite a bit in tomorrow's DFS building block show or Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, whenever you're listening. Uh, Ryan, I understand that Falcons performance didn't look impressive, but 16 points was still the most the Saints have given up in their last five games. And now you look at what the Chargers have allowed on defense the past month. 29 points to the Dolphins led by Tua. uh, 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 28 points to Joe Flacco in the Jets. And then, of course, I understand defense and special team touchdowns, but still allow 45 points to a Patriots offense that really can't move the ball. So with Julio presumably healthy, I don't know if he's healthy, but I do know that last week he played his highest snap rate, 94%, since week 10 of the 2018 season. So maybe there's a reason they're just letting him have midweek off and then just going to launch him out there again as they continue to try to move the ball. So love Ryan, love the love the double stack with Calvin and Julio, and of course bringing him back with Justin Herbert. We also need to talk about Austin Eckler because I know negative game script seems like it it threw this out of whack. Like Caitlin Balazs was only involved because of negative game script. That's not the case though. He outtouched Austin Eckler three to two on the opening drive when it was still a competitive game. Uh, he had ten touches, of course. But Eckler's twelve. There's still something to say about a running back who has twenty five targets in the past two games, like Eckler, making him a low end RB one. But if Balazs is healthy, and even though Josh Kelly's out, Balazs is getting double digit touches behind Eckler every single week. I got to piggyback one thing on what John said too. Like, despite what Taysom Hill might have you believe, the Falcons still do give up a ton of running back receptions too. So I think we will see very good Austin Eckler game script. The New Orleans Saints, speaking of Taysom Hill, are facing the Philadelphia Eagles. Total of 44. The 10 and 2 Saints are six and a half point favorites here. Hayden, is this fair? Is this really fair for Jalen Hurts to make his first start against the number two ranked? New Orleans Saints defense. I mean, we've seen Justin Herbert come in and be a fantasy football darling. We've seen Taysom Hill be, you know, the number three quarterback in terms of fantasy points per game as a starter. Uh, 
can Jalen Hurts be next in line in this very, very, very difficult matchup with one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL and skill position players who aren't helping out their quarterback? I think asking for QB1 numbers is a little rich, but I think he's certainly on the QB2 radar just because we can really bank on his rushing potential. And he was so efficient and so electric at Alabama and Oklahoma and he might be in a little bit of an underrated passer. He took a lot of big steps in his final collegiate season, and he had insane numbers even for that offense at Oklahoma. So I don't have any faith in the Eagles coaching staff at all, and that's all I can say about that. But I, I do think that we're going to see 40, 50, 60 rushing yards from Jalen Hurts, and that's, that's all you need. Pat, you're the one who talks highly of him to start the show, so you go. I've got him in the top 20, uh, QB 18 or 19. Uh, he's essentially a one or two read quarterback right now at the stage of his NFL career, but he will process them so much faster than Carson Wentz because I think like even we would maybe be processing our reads faster than Carson Wentz at this point playing the game like as slowly as possible. So I think he will at least get the ball out quickly. And there are some playmakers in this offense. I, mean, I think maybe it's Carson Wentz making his receivers look bad as much as anything else. And then, he is, he's a real deal dual threat. Like he is like an actual, mm. he's real running. Uh, unlike Carson Wentz, you know, it's been kind of like Ryan Fitzpatricking all season and taking off running a lot. I mean, Jalen Hurts will like truly threaten the defense as a runner. So I think he'll get the ball out quickly when he passes and he's going to tuck and run a lot. And it'll probably be a day that's much better in fantasy than real life. I am very skeptical of this spot, but I think you should pick him up for weeks 15 and 16 against the Cardinals and Cowboys, no matter what. And then at least he will have the rushing floor in this game. And what gives the Eagles hope, maybe not to win, but perhaps to cover if you can get the hook, uh, is that they have not seen him and we have not seen him on film at all. So at least there's an untapped ceiling we don't know about. I, I, like I said, I still question his arm talent. That was the knock coming into the league. That's why he sunk to become a second rounder. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough spot, man. It's and a tough I, sell. I even want to give Jalen Hurts credit because at Alabama he wasn't an NFL player, like he wasn't an NFL talent. Right, that he wasn't good there, and then he goes to Oklahoma and drastically improves and does so well to become a second round selection. And I mentioned this when talking about Miles Sanders earlier. You have to hope that there's a little bit of Kyler Murray magic there in Jalen Hurts, where they can get him down to the red zone or even inside the ten yard line, and because Miles Sanders only has eight total carries inside the 10-yard line all season long. I mean, compare that to, I don't know, Peyton Barber, who had seven in week one, right? What you need is to have those high-value touches, zone read, RPO situations, and hopefully, 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 Miles Sanders can cash in on those because right now, especially against this run defense that has been fantastic against running backs for years, Miles Sanders is a dreadful play here. I have him outside of the top 24. I need yeah. to double check that. But if I, if, I, if I don't, I need to move him down. He played 35 of 62 snaps last week. He's not getting the receiving workload that because Boston Scott's mixing in. And now Jalen Hurts is just as big of a threat as like – he's kind of on the like Cam Newton level, like near the goal line where like he's the priority because he's just a big truck stick. And I, I mean, I don't see the path with Miles Sanders right here. I mean, it's, it's as bad as it gets, honestly. Jordan Howard had four carries. Oh. Jordan Howard's getting touches now, too. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, quickly, I, I know a lot of people are asking the fallout, though, around Jalen Hurts with their receivers. But the good news is Peterson kind of made the decision for us. Um, he's taking Travis Fulgham off the field 
significantly for Alshon Jeffrey, and we can't play Alshon Jeffrey. So it's Rager as a deep league flex play, and then you have to trust Goddard. You don't have a choice because you can't find a better option anyways. What needs to be said, Pat, about this Saints offense? I mean, this might be Taysom's last start of the season. There's a lot of rumblings that Drew Brees comes back in week 15. We've also heard that Taysom Hill has solidified his spot as the Saints starting quarterback in 2021. Uh, Alvin Kamara, while it was a little bit better last week, it's still not quite up to like the first five or six weeks or seven weeks that we saw of Alvin Kamara. Uh, anything of note here on the Saints end? I mean, the good news is he didn't catch zero or one passes, Alvin Kamara, but the bad news <laughs> was that it was two passes. Uh, so not really a huge improvement. Uh, I mean, after two games against the Falcons and one's against, one against Kendall Hinton, this is kind of like inexplicably Taysom Hill's uh, toughest challenge. Uh, as much as like the Eagles are kind of crumbling in all facets, this is still going to be like the, the feistiest front seven he's faced. Uh, I, I guess is Darius Slay playing? Uh, he kind of – was he like faking a knee injury against – Who the, cares? He's he's garbage uh, right now. He was uh, really getting uh, – taken to school there. But, uh, yeah, I, I am interested to see Taysom Hill against uh, – I don't know. Are the Eagles even a good defense anymore? I mean, this isn't. They can rush the passer. They can rush the passer. But I, w- I would say, I would say the one of the biggest developments is Teron Armstead returning to practice, and I think we saw Andrews Pete returning last week. So, like, if the Eagles had any avenue of success, it was just frustrating. Who a mobile Taysom Hill, but still, we've seen him fumble at points when he wasn't the quarterback and when he is the quarterback. Um, but having maybe the best offensive line back together again in this week, it just adds up once again to a, a bad matchup. Despite the, the fumbles, despite the bad throws, the QB three overall in yep. his three starts. So you just, you trust the high floor. You don't have to trust Sanders, uh, Traquan Smith, Jared Cook. Like Jared Cook and Traquan Smith last week were running wide open. Like they got lost on defensive communications. And so Taysom had the easiest deliveries to them, whereas he continues force-feeding Michael Thomas for a 46% target share now. So pretty much two guys to play along with Taysom Hill in that offense, and that's it. Let's turn to a fun game, Hayden Winks. Washington football team, San Francisco 49ers. Just a total of 43 and a half in this game. Both teams five and seven, but the 49ers at home are three-point favorites. Hayden, Washington's defense stifled the Steelers last week. Why can't they do that against Nick Mullins? And I'll give you my answer before I let you answer that one. Uh, and it's because it's Kyle Shanahan. You know, this is a multi-level offense versus what we've seen from the Pittsburgh Steelers this, in recent weeks, which is certainly anything than multi-level. But yeah, what, what's, what's your view of this game? Because, you know, Washington is is a team that everyone has an optimistic feeling of right now. Well, the problem with Nick Mullins, he's kind of got that Jimmy G in him with when there's some pressure, then he kind of falls apart. He's 32nd out of 40 quarterbacks in passer rating under pressure. And of course, with Washington, you're getting maybe the second best pass rush in the, in the entire NFL right now. Um, both of their DNs look awesome right now. Montez Sweat's really coming on. But, mm. yeah, I mean, it, the, the story here is Brandon Nayuk and Debo Samuel. I am not buying Brandon Ayuk as, like, a wide receiver one or wide receiver two in this matchup. I think that Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are probably going to even out closer to the same amount of targets overall and about the same amount of usage down the stretch. But Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are really good players. And the Washington secondary – is not that great. So I think if they do get some scheme touches, they can make the most of it. I, I'm not really expecting a monster ceiling game out of the offense just because Washington's front seven is going to cause Nick Mullen some trouble here. 
And for their backfield, the roles have changed the past two games with all back. Uh, I was skeptical in week one, whenever Raheem Mostert um, at least got 50% of the running back touches, but now that's what he's averaged the past two games. Whereas remember before his first two injuries, so two healthy games all year to this point, he had 65% of the running back touches. So Jeff Wilson now, 21 touches to Mostert's 28, and this two-game stretch is clearly involved. He runs relentlessly. He looks like he's trying to run someone over, like old-school Marion Barber every time he touches the ball. So Wilson has looked good. He's now getting carries between the 20s, not just the red, red zone, and he's become an issue for Mostert. I will, hey, I will say the Washington secondary, you know, not being nearly as good as the front sevens, why I think I have Brandon Ayuk ranked probably about 10 spots ahead of Debo Samuel this week, where I think Debo was battling a bruised foot. I think like his, you know, negative A dot, uh, you know, yak attempts could maybe not go as far this week against Washington, whereas Brandon Ayuk, who's being used a little bit more as a traditional wide receiver, uh, might have like the higher yardage ceiling. Maybe you know, Brandon, Josh, and I talked about this uh, earlier this week. I mean, he's averaging seven catches for 87 yards over his past three appearance. The problem is all the stop and start. He, you know, he's played. I don't. Has he played two games in a row like all year? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to like get in the groove with Brandon Ayuk in fantasy. But uh, I mean, he's been he's been a wide receiver one. Obviously, I'm not ranking him that way, but I, I do have him ranked as a low end wide receiver two. I mentioned that the 49ers are at home. They're really not at home. And, you know, they're playing in Arizona. Like, I want to bring actually a human element into this conversation if I can. I mean, San Francisco won't truly be at home. And that means in their headquarters or even in their homes for the rest of the season. Practice, playing. I mean, they're basically the only team in the NFL right now that is operating inside of a bubble. I mean, they can't see their family through right now the remaining month of the NFL season. Don't you think that, like, would impact your work? I mean, that would impact my work. You know, it wouldn't be surprising at all if we don't see the same 49ers team defensively, offensively, whatever, be as good as they were in the past because they have feelings. They have emotions. They get drained. And now they're just living in Arizona as a collective team of like 100 people. And that's that. I mean, that is so different than everyone else in the NFL right now. To me, it's it's just a, a major talking point of this conversation. That's actually the one storyline that has crushed me, and I'm dead inside. I feel nothing. But when Raheem Mostert has talked, because remember, Raheem Mostert stepped away from his family at the beginning of the year, decided he would not see them all 17 weeks, and if they continue the Super Bowl, he just wouldn't see them since they have a newborn baby. And now not only that, but they move away from their city where he doesn't have friends around either. So that's the one storyline that I keep going back to as well. Yeah. The one th- the one thing in – this is why Shanahan's just so awesome. He did say that for Christmas, no matter what, no matter if they don't, if they can't practice or whatever the situation is, they want to be able to bring the families in and they're really monitoring the, just the psych levels of all these players. I think they've been get, even given them a lot of like therapy um, opportunities as well. So Shanahan's doing the best of the situation, but like you said, this is, this is not a fun situation overall. Yeah. I mean, they, they are the only team in a bubble right now. Um, we do, before we move on, you talk about this Washington backfield Hayden, because we know Antonio Gibson, I know that Ron Rivera and co keep saying, well, we'll see how he looks on Sunday. I mean, turf toe, he's not playing and he might not play next week. Right. So we have seen Jaden McKissick look good at times. Peyton Barber has never looked good, um, but high value touches near the goal line go to Peyton Barber yet. I don't know where you guys have him. I wouldn't hate Jaden McKissick as a top 24 running back play this week at all. Yeah, I'm not going to start Peyton Barber just because that would require positive game script. And the Vegas is only projecting Washington score 20 points. That's 29th on the slate. So banking on Peyton Barber when you have 
every single team playing is is a big ask for me. I, I do think J.D. McKissick in PPR formats is a low-end RB2. He's going to get a lot of work. He's probably going to see seven, eight targets. That probably means 34 receiving yards. But, I mean, in PPR formats, you, you got to do what you can take. And um, I, I think he's earned it with, with Antonio Gibson out. And it was a one-score game all last week against Pittsburgh, and McKissick still outsnapped Barber 53-24. Like, he's going to be on the field. We even saw them scheme up a touch inside the five-yard line for him in motion, but he got dragged down to the ground and didn't get the touchdown. So, yeah, they're going to use him. Uh, he will be their featured running back. So, of course, like, you have to like him, just knowing he will catch the ball and still has the highest target share on the team from Alex Smith. Scott, I mean, Scott Turner's trying everything now, you know, like th- I think this is kind of where Scott Turner thrives. He did it at the end of the season last year in Carolina. He's doing it now to McKissick and Cam Sims and so on and so forth. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a little tricks up his sleeve and a lot of those featuring J.D. McKissick. Dago, anything hey, else? Go back to Terry McLaurin. Don't yeah. worry about last week. You go well, back. I was going to say, it's like Terry is like one of the safest floors, but like now is he like a no ceiling player now with Alex Smith? And like if he doesn't hit his floor, then is he just like a complete liability? and Because like he had not hit – it had been like months since he hadn't hit a ceiling, but – uh, that was very discouraging uh, usage. Last he week. popped in the usage model, right, Hayden? Please. Well, he wasn't. Me. He had he had this, a season low fantasy usage last week, but I think that mm-hmm. that's just more of like a one game sample. I don't I don't want to really lean into that, especially with Antonio Gibson now. Like the the Washington's going to run fifty plays. Like, yeah. where are the ball? Where's the ball going to? I mean, right. Terry McLaurin probably projects for ten plus targets, and like Richard Sherman and and red are good corners but like i mean you have to bank on the touches here even with the below team total we know where the ball is going it's him logan thomas and jd mckissick that's it primetime games let's go to sunday night football the pittsburgh steelers who are now 11 and 1 go to the buffalo bills who are two and a half point favorites at nine and three a 46 and a half total in this game dago is it fair for the bills to be favored here i mean both of these teams sure do love to pass the football uh, I would say one team in the Steelers are kind of dinking and dunking it down the field. Meanwhile, we have seen Josh Allen, especially last week against those 49ers, just throw it all over the park and have extreme success doing it. Josh Allen's performance last week was genuinely one of the best we've seen from any quarterback all year long. Just how he attacked where we thought he couldn't attack, where he had been poor the past six games or so over the top. And that's where he had his most success as Brian Dayball continues carving out a head coaching resume for himself. Uh, I'm trusting Josh Allen here, not not a shock to say, but I, I want to speak on the backfield really quick because we did see Devin Singletary emerge. We saw Zach Moss actually out-touch him 3-2 to two on the opening drive. And then the very next play from the opening drive after that wild series of events that led to both teams being stuffed on the goal line, Moss gets a carry inside the end zone. He fumbles it. And then we didn't see him again until the fourth quarter. And Singletary, of course, ended up with 21 touches and 85% snaps, uh, nearly a season high. So if that's the case again, and they are not trusting the rookie, Singletary would quietly become a high-end RB2 in this game. But again, I don't know if they're going to trust Zach Moss suddenly in this one. Hmm. Yeah, the Bills, the shenanigans in the backfield, like it certainly looked like quite a commitment, like a legit commitment to Devin Singletary, but I've kind of thought that a few other times. It's very hard, I feel like, to take anything week to week with the Bills' backfield. And Josh Allen, this is one where 
I wasn't quite sure where to end up with Josh Allen in the rankings. Cause like John said, I mean, that was as impressive as a quarterback performance we've seen all year, but now the Steelers allow permit the fewest quarterback fantasy points. You can get them for some big plays, which the bills have been generating a ton of even without John Brown, but it is about as bad of a matchup as possible. I kept Josh Allen in the top five though, just because of the rushing floor and like the passing upside is going to be there any given week. But, uh, I wish we could have seen him come off, a, you know, let Josh cook last week to a softer matchup, maybe let him get some real rhythm going. Uh, yeah. Concerning spot. With both of these teams being top five in neutral pass rate and both of them in the top half in neutral offensive pace, I'm kind of expecting this game to have a little bit of shootout potential, despite both of these teams being well coached on defense and the Steelers have a, I mean, probably the best defense in the NFL, but I mean, Josh Allen's playing really, really good. He's taken such a big leap, especially downfield. I I looked at his completion percentage over expected last year. It was negative 12. This year, it's plus 6.6. That's a massive jump on deep targets. And that's a credit to Stefan Diggs. That's a credit to Dayball. That's a credit to Cole Beasley playing well. I mean, they're just getting a lot of things done. And I I think that the Bills total, it's only at 24 and a, uh, a quarter point right now. That seems a little bit low just because we're going to see both of these teams just pass it at will, and the clock's going to be moving really slowly throughout the game. Yeah, I mean, Cole Beasley's even catching 15-plus yard passes. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these plays that Josh Allen is making outside of structure are are unbelievable. An an amazing throw to Gabriel Davis on that dig route last week. Meanwhile, like, that's fun. That's exciting. That's a roller coaster that's enjoyable. The Steelers are the opposite. Last week, that was brutal to watch. And what they are doing are these short passes, which I think Sean McDermott might give up unless he wants to change, you know, his style of defense. But Dega, what they're doing right now is relying on their wide receivers to win after the catch. And like, that's what the offense is. Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster. And there's been so much conversation about like drops lately. I would say that this offense and Ben Roethlisberger is setting his wide receivers up for failure in a lot of those situations. I'm not, I'm not saying like Deontay shouldn't drop a lot of the passes he does, right? That's right. on him. But I think there's also some blame that goes on Big Ben because he is throwing quick routes, short time to throw into heavily trafficked areas of the field. And what do you expect these wide receivers to do? Just catch it within a guy of, you know, a quarter of a yard between him and another defender every single time. So it's something needs to change in order for the Steelers team to really, you know, connect once they get to the playoffs, I think. I was asked about the drops in my waivers chat and my response was, I don't care. Like uh, de- targets are still earned. Deontay Johnson is beating guys off the line of scrimmage and sure he's going to, he's dropping a, a few per game. Uh, his floor would be higher if he caught everything, but he's still seeing the most number of targets among all these receivers. Tomlin was asked about it. He said, you drop the ball, you don't play, but he wasn't talking about Deontay. He was talking about Ch- Chase Claypool who James Washington ran 31 routes to Claypool's 26 this past week. So I think they are mixing in Washington now just because Ben loves him so much and requested it as the number three receiver with Claypool whether I agree with that or not and then Deontay and Juju are still leading this team in route run with Juju never going downfield like he never goes beyond five yards within the line of scrimmage Juju has some of the most depressing box scores in the entire NFL uh, I don't know why, why Ben Roethlisberger wants to play James Washington over Calvin Johnson 2.0 that is between Ben and Chase Claypool. Uh, very so Deontay Johnson, the drops. So a lot of them are like in the hospital area of the field, uh, you know, right over the middle of the field, about to get lit up. But some of them are uh, very bad. Uh, I agree. 
I want you to stop dropping the ball so much, Deontay. I'm very tilted <laughs> in my league where I have catch bonuses and your yardage bonuses and distance scoring. Uh, and part of the way the Steelers – so Steelers back-to-back games on, you know, like weekdays. Uh, Steelers have been in a very weird – you know, they're totally out of rhythm as a team. And they coincided with not having James Conner, not having a running back, not having a running game. And so making them go even more all in on the short passing. I think the Steelers will be a little more watchable on offense this week and in the passing game. And we've kind of seen their nadir as a, as a watchable passing offense. I, I, yeah, I think basically that there's a product of like the extremely weird schedule and having no running game to speak of. Hey, and let's close this game with this. Uh, Eric Ebron has now emerged as a top 12 tight end each and every week. Uh, and two, James Conner seems to be back off the COVID list uh, in his absence been dicey with Benny Snell and company again James Conner was like the running back eight or nine or ten drafted in your leagues can you start him in the first round I'm gonna have him probably outside of my top 24 there is a theory going out there that the Steelers need to run the ball in the playoffs and maybe they try to figure that out right now but this is an important game against the Bills I'm not expecting them to try to trot out James Conner if they're not expecting it to work so um, yeah, I mean the, the Steelers have some problems, but they're they're still they're still a good team. Like it, I think we're, we're we're they were in so many uh, primetime games the last ten days. They played like three primetime games the last ten days. So we're over di- uh, over analyzing all these things. But the mic the, 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 from the yeah. Wednesday afternoon games is just legendary. You know. <laughs> well, so. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I have to say one thing. Danny Kelly, uh, friend of the show, he's he compared Deontay Johnson to Ronald Jones, and I have not <laughs> been able to get that comparison outside of my head since that since that tweet it, to be clear though it wasn't just benny snail the way pittsburgh plays on offense goes back five weeks now back to week nine james connor had nine 13 and 13 carries in three games before the covid list they just don't want to run the ball let's close with monday night football the baltimore ravens the cleveland browns chilly night in cleveland probably i don't know uh 46 and a half browns are nine and three pat the Ravens are seven and five, but here one point favorites. And the only reason why I can guess is this because back all the way in week one, the Browns were demolished by the Baltimore Ravens 38 to six, 38 to six. But since then, Pat, and especially in recent weeks, isn't it fair to say that the Browns one know their identity and two have been better at producing their identity than the Ravens have. They're more successful with it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, hopefully we're not getting like another like Lake Erie hurricane game on Monday night. Uh, I mean, the Browns, do they, they know their identity as well as any team in the NFL at this point, I feel like. And it's been a while, I believe, since we had a Baker Mayfield stink bomb. Uh, The Ravens defense is coming together. Uh, The the player for me to watch in this game is Lamar Jackson, where he kind of came on before the COVID madness. Uh, had a pretty decent game Monday night. I mean, he's still the big play, the big touchdown. He made a bad throw. So we're still not seeing great throws from Lamar Jackson, but he's fully reestablished the rushing floor. I think he's averaging 13 carries over his past five games. So he's like the X factor player to me in this game. He was the QB five in that demolition uh, against the Browns back in week one. I mean, that was an eternity ago. Uh, but yeah, this was a game where I, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know what the line would be. I didn't know what the total would be. I'm maybe a little surprised that the Ravens are, I think they're two and a half point favorites right now. And this is uh, one of the games where I go in excited to see, because I just don't know how this one is going to go. I think the Browns are getting a little too much credit for last week's performance. Uh, Baker still has been bad under pressure. Of course, 39% uh, 
completion rates. That's the word I'm looking for. Four picks under pressure. And we know that Clayus Campbell, Brandon Williams, um, a few other guys will be back to the Ravens as well. So if they can get pressure, maybe Stefanski schemes open more play action and keeps Baker safe. But I'm still worried about the Browns offense here. That That is the key. That is the key. Yeah. It's, it's pushing Baker into a confined pocket and forcing him to make decisions in, in that circumstance. Because last week he was basically throwing on air in that first half. And while it was good, and while we can get excited about it because, hey, the Browns are, are a good football team and they're going to make the playoffs, um, Baker's negatives were still not tested. And until Baker's negatives are tested and he has shown that he can overcome them, I would say once that happens and then once the running game, I'm not going to say is ever going to be shut down but limited and can't engulf a defense, then this team is going to struggle. And and I, I think they still have their limitations somewhat like you know, the, the 2019 Tennessee Titans, Hayden Winks. But speaking of struggling, the Ravens have struggled all season long, except for this past week, seemingly against the Cowboys when they were finally able to what, rack up 300 rushing yards, basically. Yeah, they ran all over the Cowboys. who have just so many tr- troubles right now. But I, I was going to be betting the Ravens here, and I thought that was going to be the contrarian take on the podcast. But we also kind of are leaning that the Ravens pass rush and that their top five in blitz rate could c- cause – Baker Mayfield some trouble, especially because he doesn't have like the Odell Beckham to like win on the outside consistently. Um, so I, I think the Ravens are in a good spot. I think that they're really pushing for that playoff spot right now, and they have a path to get to get back into the mix. And I really trust the rushing offense right now. And I'm hoping that we get Mark Andrews back uh, because I think he's the guy that kind of unleashes the upside of the passing attack. Um, because right now it's just like it's just Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson ru- running up the middle right now, but. I think the Ravens have have a chance to sneak back into the playoffs mix. They they look a little bit better than I think that people were giving them credit for earlier on in the year. I still put Dobbins as the top 24 running back, but I am slightly skeptical of the usage against the Cowboys. Uh, common retort is that he was being limited off the COVID list, but why would they play him behind Mark Ingram, who was also on the COVID list? It doesn't logically make sense whatsoever. So I'm worried that they slipped back into this three-headed committee that they were using before since Dobbins only had 11 of 26 backfield touches. Um, having said that, we know he's still the most explosive of the th- of the trio. So uh, you can go back to him if only because the position lacks pop around that range. Pat, where do you have Dobbins ranked this week? I have him top 20, but I don't feel great about it. I think like RB 18 or 19, because I do kind of think the three-man thing, what, this is going to be like their third game in like 12 days or something. I think that probably plays into it too. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't see any, I didn't see a compelling reason to think that the three-man committee would just disappear again. I think maybe once they get back on their normal schedule, normal-ish, it'll still be a short week in week 15. Maybe J.K. Dobbins would be kind of allowed to take over the backfield again, but I agree with John, right? I have great fears about this. I have Jacob Adams in the top 20 based on his upside. And like, you can still have a, a solid RB2 day on only 10 or 11 carries in this offense. But yeah, I could not get him any higher than low end RB2. I pieced together my notes this morning. And at that point, the Ravens were one point favorite. So that's moved a point and a half to two and a half now is, uh, it's interesting. Something to monitor that we'll talk about on Sunday as well. Well, on Sunday, that is Rudder Live. Tune in, join us, noon Eastern on Periscope, on YouTube, on Twitch, all those wonderful places. Again, check out the Building Block Show, which is uh, Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, and check out Patrick Darty's rankings chat, which is up on Twitch as well on Friday afternoons. There is that fair? That's fair. That's more than fair. 2 p.m. Eastern, folks. Check it out. It's the best Patrick Darty chat out there. <laughs> 
All right, let's get out of here. Longest one of the year, but I think it deserved it. I think it deserved it this week. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Pat. Thank you for Hayden. Thank you to Daigle for joining me. All right, I'm Josh Norris. Up the Vela, 7.30 a.m. on Saturday against Wolves. Talk to you all soon. See ya.